It's time to play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Welcome to another edition of Play Hard, Work Hard. I am your host, Jason Spies, our co-host, Sterling. How are you doing today? Doing great, Jason. And look at that. We got all the levels working here as we're getting ready for the new year. This is our probably our last pilot program. Maybe we'll squeeze in one more. I don't know. We'll wait and see. But we've got a full show lined up here today. Let me go through the lineup really quick. We're going to have some New Year's resolutions and predictions coming up in just a moment or two. Predictions that people had last year going into 2020 before COVID. I've seen some good ones. I want to see what they thought before COVID, and then now I want to see, obviously, what some of the predictions are going into 2021. Yeah, and we should probably check in on some of those people, too. Totally. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Of course, we have our news, rumors, and newspeak segment coming up a little later in the program. And we've got a guest, Bailey Midkiff, with Wyoming Insulation Contracting out of WIC out of uh, Wyoming Insulation Company, not contracting. They do contract work, but WIC (laughs) is the acronym. Uh, You'll be calling in sometime in the first hour during the play hard section uh, of the program to talk about this uh, FR clothing bulwark and the North Face and the oil and gas industry and just kind of some of the political hubbub behind that. And then in the second hour, Ron Gusick from Liberty Oil Field Services. He's the president. He's going to be our newsmaker interview in the second hour of Work Hard. And he'll talk about the North Face as well as uh, what Liberty Oil Field Services is up to and uh, what they're looking into for next year. All right. As we get ready here in the first hour, let's see. What do we got going on here today? Well, somebody was wondering about this daily program you know wh- wh- why are we doing it what it's what is it about and everything else like that and oh look at that getting a call in that's on the bat phone too all right we should probably take a quick break and then come back and do our interview and then we'll talk about the show later okay all right folks you're listening to play hard work hard my name is jason Speece. that is sterling we'll be back in a few minutes It's a beautiful day. You're listening to Play Hard, Work Hard on the Crude Life Media Network. The music on today's program is written and performed by the Moody River Band. For more information on the Moody River Band, their links, and their music, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com, and click on the Musicians tab. This is the Moody River Band.
The Food Life. Play hard, work hard. Is sponsored in part by... If you have natural gas leases and are looking to sell them, Swan Energy wants to talk to you today. Give them a call at 866-539-0860. That's 866-539-0860. Swan Energy is buying up natural gas leases, and they may buy yours too. Give them a call today. Play hard, work hard. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Welcome back, folks. This is uh, the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. By the way, we just started the intro, and then Bailey Midkiff from WIC calls into the bat phone, put him right on the air. So we forgot to mention today's sponsor, by the way. Today's sponsor. Where's that 40-foot drilling tape? There it is. Okay. I think it's impressive. American Directional Driller. We're going to talk a little bit about that 40-foot tape measure in just a moment or two. All the different things that we can measure. That's what I'm looking I'm forward excited. to. I'm excited. Not sure 40 feet's enough for some of us, but <laughs> hey, what do we know about that? <laughs> hey, hey, how you doing there, Bailey? <laughs> I'm fantastic. You know, heck, you guys talk about tape measures. Next me now you guys will have somebody on the air telling you how to tally pipe the old way. I don't know if there's anybody left. Well, that was Sterling's. That was Sterling's comment. What was your What was your uh, slogan you were thinking about for uh, the American Driller Company? Or American Directional Driller? What was the? Uh, was it the Freedom Juicing? Or are you talking about measuring all your pipe? Measuring all your pipe. That's it. Yeah. The... That's classy. I could go for that. That sells, dude, for sure. <laughs> You know, freedom juicing. So, Bailey, one of the reasons why we're doing this this morning show is to have a daily platform for the industry to come to and talk like yourself, or you just call into the program and, and, and we'll talk about certain things. Of course, the second hour, we have our newsmaker interview on. Uh, we have Ron Gusick, president of Liberty uh, Oilfield Services. He's on in the second hour. But the, the first hour, part of it is to have some fun. You know, obviously the oil field and industry, they like to play hard. They like to work hard. And one of the reasons why we're doing this is to take control of the narrative that um, I, and we've talked about this before, Bailey, how the industry has gotten a little reactive and we got to get back to taking control of that message again. And, um, you know, we were joking about the word frack before. A few years ago, we tried horizontal flushing and a few things. Sterling's got a great idea to replace the word frack. Are you ready for this, uh, Bailey? Oh, 
I, I am pumped. I mean, I, I can't hold my composure. Now, I, I don't know how, how we're going to try to do this as an industry, but I, I know that there's a certain level that would love to see that, that word changed. But, uh, Sterling, all right, go ahead. Well, you know, it just it, it, it makes an impact. You talk about horizontal flushing or something like that. We need to get back to the, the basics. It's freedom juicing. Freedom you know, juicing. We are liberating the resources. Liberating the resources. What do you think? It's Bailey? part of the American dream. I think dream. that's amazing. I think nail on the head. And it's simplistic, right? So it's not overwhelming. When you Free- put frack into something, people want to know like what it means. Those are basic words. I mean, people can understand that. It's not uncomfortable. So I'm not I'm not opposed at all. And it's catchy. <laughs> well, I, I just remember one of the first conferences I went to was back in 2000 and oh, it must have been 13 or 12. Anyway, I think it was 12 or 13, but it was in the uh, Jackson Hole. It was the big economic energy summit that the the guys from the Federal Reserve come to and all the CEOs and I mean it's a it's unbelievable. I mean there's they have uh what did they have Rolls-Royce and Jaguars that you can test drive and they had people selling $3000 sunglasses at tables and I mean it was a very high affluent event, right? And it was a conference for you know, these big giant CEOs is like a rare albino elk sighting for some. But um, the first speaker, he got up there. And one of the first things he said was, this is back in 2012, 13. He said, if we would have given Madison Avenue a billion dollars to say, come up with the worst word possible for our industry, they would have came back with the word frack. And, yeah. we, and we did it free to ourselves. It's because Shart was already taken. Yeah. They're <laughs> <laughs> nail on the head right there. You know, I mean, it's... <laughs> Mother, Nature, <laughs> Mother Nature just sharted herself. Yeah, it's... <laughs> Freedom juicing better. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm still with the freedom juicing myself. It sounds very American. <laughs> well, like Bailey was saying, is it, you know, it's it's uh, freedom juicing sounds more comfortable. Fracking sounds yeah. uncomfortable, and people generally like to feel comfortable. Well, the, listen, the, the reality is the word frack really doesn't have too many positive connotations or interpretations because when a dam breaks, it fractures. When a relationship, it fractures. You can fracture a bone. Pretty Moochie is fracking, or right. uh, Frackleberry Hound is the only positive I've ever seen. It's, By the way, our mascot's name is Frackleberry Hound. That's the only time I've ever seen people smile with that yeah. word. And I mean, totally serious. And so it, it, there's something to be said about that. If we were to take back the narrative and now we're being a little bit ridiculous with the freedom juicing and things like that but but the bigger picture is that's what we need to do and one of the reasons why bailey's uh on the program here today is to talk about north face fr clothing the oil and gas industry and kind of what's what's been going on now bailey you get around you talk to a lot of people you're in business development as well as some other executive roles um talk to me a little bit about you know uh what you're doing out there so give your company a plug but also talk about you know just your day-to-day what you're hearing from people and what you're thinking when it comes to the north face and uh, uh oil and gas industry you're fo- you're following you, you've been following that story right Oh, yeah, yeah, I have. And I think it's it's got too many variables at play. I, I think we're handling it wrong because initially, you know, everybody was like, you know, the heck with them, for lack of better terms, or maybe a more polite term. Yeah. You know, we won't we won't buy their clothing, clothing anymore. We won't do this. You know, let's go somewhere else. Let's support that. But, I mean, honestly, as long as we're supporting the clothing line, they're still supporting our industry. If they want to admit that or not, 
you know, the ball's in their court. That's fine. They can they can verbally approach it however they would like, but really nothing's going to change. They, and, you know, I don't even think it's necessarily education concern. It might even boil down to the fact that, you know, an individual described why they shouldn't support the industry, and they bought into that. Now, obviously, you know, everything on our end, from the, an oil and gas industry standpoint, we can we can justify why you should sell it to us. Why would you not? It makes no sense. But we, we've got to play the, the better hand. We always have to. I, I think that's what it's turned into. We can't become a negative industry or a negative group against something that they do. We have to treat it positive. A great comparison would be, to, I mean, not to be politicized, political about it but you know it people always say up in the north you know hey we if we lose we're not sitting there trying to burn down bridges but you know the other party the the democratic party they're mooning people and doing all these things and we're not you know we got to take the high road on all of this or it's we're gonna make it worse essentially you know they're we're only fueling their fire of justification well, I think we're having the wrong conversation in some aspects. And certainly, I'll let you go in just a second here. But uh, I was going to ask you, as long as you brought the political part, um, you still got some family members involved in politics, don't you? I do. I sure do. Yeah, my dad's county commissioner. Yeah. Okay, so you're you're somewhat tied into that whole vein of how everything works, etc. I can't remember which state it was, if it was Colorado or which state, but there was a baker that did not sell a cake to a same-sex couple. In a couple of instances, Colorado, I think, maybe Oregon. Ohio, I think, yeah. had another one. Yep. And, yeah. and I think there was multiple, yep. yeah. So multiple. when this North Face thing came out, um, my neighbor, who's a politician, he looked at me and he said, oh, that's just like the baker in Colorado with the same-sex <laughs> marriage. And I thought, it is rank prejudice. That's what's going on here. This is a rank prejudice. And it's amazing to me how it's accepted. To me, that is the conversation that I wish the media was having, which is, why are we allowing the social shaming of an industry so so easily? And why, you know... I'm pretty sure North Face is probably, or VF Corporation or whatever, I'm pretty sure they have some corporate social governance clauses that they need to adhere to, like every other public company. So I, I wonder if there's any sort of, uh, you know, shareholders or, or board of directors that would say, you know, you can't be doing that because you're you're an executive you can't be laying out prejudices and discriminations and and everything is that too far am i am, am i if no, i if you're I, not but let on. me ask you this you know here's a scarier way to approach it what if they told him to say that then that that raises a higher concern you know what what statistics or what what are they being fed via information that wants them to say that publicly I think is a bigger question to be asked. Like, why? What actually caused them to say that? You know, what was your your backing on that? Because honestly, he probably has no correlation to the industry. So, what what caused him to make that statement? And I, there's probably more too. I mean, they're very smart individuals. There had to have been reasoning. You would hope. Sterling, a lot of times I think it's a checking a box off. You know, North Face, as I understand it, was formed sometime in the '60s, and you know, has always had sort of an environmental message you know, of self-sustainability and that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, at, at this point, it just seems counterproductive. It's especially in this kind of economy. I mean, do we really want to be spiting each other and losing money when, you know, 
when it boils down right. to gas oil bad okay if that's you know if, if that's the argument if gas and oil are bad and we need to get away from those well what's the next 10 words what's the how do we just shut that off and get it on so it's easy to say that's bad it it doesn't engage with the industries on how we can be productive you know in these times so it just seems silly to me eye for an eye there you go i i honestly would have thought they would have answered with an open-ended question you know like mm -hmm. to the basics of being like a political situation but they didn't and i'm yeah they have reasoning behind it. I just don't know it, and I've yet to hear it. It would be great if somebody could actually put some validity to the comment, but I don't, you know, maybe there isn't any. I what concerns me is we live in a world where the government seems to think it's okay. If you're too big, then you can't fail, no matter how you do business and no matter how you treat people. And they would be in the category of too big to fail. That's what worries me is that they For just sure. think no matter what, at the end of the day, they're going to get bailed out because they're a big public company and so many different retirement accounts and blah, blah, blah are tied to these, these public companies that they get bailed out regardless. And these guys get, they, they get executive bonuses and, and, and then they get to go away into hiding and don't have to face the music. That's been going on for 10, 20 years. And that's what, and that's what concerns me. That's what really concerns me. Go ahead. Sorry. No, you're good. That, you're right. And it, I, I don't think we're going to see a change in that or a shift. I don't see any reason why they would change it because they're allowed to do that. So they're going to continue to do that. Hey, let's and it's oh, not right. Let's transition to Bulwark for a second because, um, you know, Bulwark is in a tough spot. They're in a really tough spot. The um, we, we had an executive lined up to come on the program and then they ghosted us. So that's, you know, they reached out to us and then they ghosted us. Um, Bulwark, I've heard rumors that they're for sale. So if your parent company is dogging your stock price like that, well, there's some issues there. But at the end of the day, the oil and gas industry needs FR clothing. They need it in order to save oh, yeah. lives, in order to save lives. And I grew up in ag, and ag was a very dangerous industry. So there was a lot of things that were not discussed because at the end of the day, things were done in order to save lives. And oil and gas industry, especially now, is very much a numbers industry. So if this company's got this price and it does this regulation and it saves lives, they're gonna buy it regardless. They're going to buy it regardless. So I've heard people speculate that, you know, this was calculated. You mentioned earlier that they knew what they were doing as well. And maybe part of it is, maybe not, no idea. But they knew that their sales would just continue because... It's a safe protest. What? But Marathon's got to buy FR clothing. Yeah. Well, like the oh, gentleman. You just nailed it. What? Say that a safe protest. I'm going to use that. That was a good way to describe that. Well, you know, it's like the check in the box. Because we were talking to a guy last week that was talking about, you know, when it comes down to it, our guys are going to buy the best quality for the cheapest price. And if that's North Face, that's what they're going to buy. They may not like what the company's talking about, but they're practical, you know, and then right. they're on a budget. So yeah, it's safe for a company like North Face or, you know, whatever to, to, to say that, but it just doesn't help anything. It doesn't help anybody. There's no answers. It's no solution. Yeah. Nothing's yeah. getting better. It's all just, it's, uh, what Matthew McConaughey called fairy dust. that doesn't exist. Yeah, doesn't exist. <laughs> yep. <laughs> What, what? That's the third Maca Ma Matthew McConaughey reference I've heard today. All right, all right, all right. Oh, really? That was the other one. All right, all right, all right. Then the other one hey, that's was one of my uh, somebody was making fun of the some ad in North Dakota that was been running over the holidays where 
I don't know if it's a state ad or a local business, but somebody was driving around in a car acting like they were Matthew McConaughey. Not as a joke. Okay. Like, they were serious. They, they, were, they were doing it straight. And, and these people were just dying <laughs> laughing at this ad. So anyway, that's that's where that... So third Matthew McConaughey reference in less than 24 hours. And not one of them have been... Now, I'm going to do the fourth. Stay the same age. <laughs> okay, that's all I'm going to do is half of it. <laughs> uh, I wish I could finish it, but it is the morning show. So yeah. I'll leave it alone. <laughs> We don't want to piss everybody off. I mean, <laughs> well, we'll stay neutral on this comment. There you go. I think everybody knows where yeah. it goes. <laughs> right. So we better mention today's sponsor, American Directional Driller. <laughs> Measure all your pipe. <laughs> for all your pipe measuring needs. So it's actually a 40-footer, though, because uh, your standard is 33 feet, but you need the extra 7 feet in oil and gas. And um, anyway, so it's, it's, a, it's like a specific tape measure for the oil and gas industry. But uh, hey, Bailey, let's uh, give you a plug in your company, WIC, Wyoming Insulation Company, correct? William Insulation Company, but pretty close. Yeah, Did I see Wyoming? Yes. I met yeah, William. I met I William. You started it. with a W. There was, there was a point where it was that, but it, it, there's some history behind that. Oh, oh that, okay. no, because that's what the website is, Wyoming um, Insco or whatever it is. Wickwyo? That's it, Wickwyo. Thank you. There's, there you I, I knew there was a Wyo in the website, and that's where I got <laughs> m- messed up there. So uh, now that it has butchered the heck out of your company there, um, let's start from the beginning. Williams Insulation Company. Now, you guys are pretty affiliated with the oil and gas um, on, on the supply chain side. So talk talk about what you guys are doing and et cetera. I mean, so, you know, from everything, you know, midstream, downstream to insulation, fireproofing, scaffolding, uh, steam trays, heat trays, uh, steel buildings, painting and coating of Bess's abatement, maintenance, new construction. We have a lot of service lines we take care of. So we're we're really intertwined with the oil and gas industry, you know, all over the United States. We, we dabble in a lot of other industries, but yeah, we definitely, it's a big piece of us and our history. You, um... You also, you guys deal with FR stuff, don't you, through the insulation side? We definitely so do, you know, you're you're yeah, very absolutely. up on it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's it's too bad that they ghost you because, I mean, they're one of the best in the industry, Bulwark. You know, they've been around 50-plus years, so it's like WIC been around 42-plus years. They have a long line of history. You know, they've been around. They have an understanding. Uh, you know, and there's so many product lines out there for FR. Um I think people get confused with that. They just go buy, you know, a said shirt or whatever, and they don't realize all the testing that's gone into it to even, you know, that hateful word fracking has some special industry items they've made. I know Burworks, you know, they push the, the engineering on that side, you know, be it refineries, gas plants, power plants, you know, the electrical side. The, the FR market is it's amazing to really get in depth and read on it and have an understanding of what they are really capable of. You just think it's fire retardant clothing, but there's so much more to it. Yeah, we think just just the science to arrive at that point, you'd have all kinds of other innovations. Right, exactly. And it's some you would never know of, you know. You have to really take the time to go out there and see what you can actually, you know, utilize or give your people to ensure that they're the safest on location or, you know, on a service uh, line work, whatever, you know, their description is on that. There's There's so much out there, so much more than just FR clothing. There's a lot to it. I'm typing an email right now, so I do apologize. That's 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 the part of the play hard, work hard. I gotta I gotta 
go to play hard, but there's just so much to do on this on this pilot, trying to get everything uh, together and, you know, everything else. And so, anyway, I, I do apologize. So, if people were hearing the clicking and the clacking, yes, I was typing an email. So, I apologize. <laughs> I just, we got to call it out, too, you know. So, um, well, you don't want to miss that extended cab warranty on your car. You've been traveling much? Oh, me? Yeah. Still, oh yeah, heck, last week I was in uh, Kimball, Nebraska, Great Falls, Montana, obviously Wyoming. Yeah, I, I'm hitting it hard, continually. I mean, there's a lot of people to st- still see, you know, hang out. How's Chat the um, how's the sales calls going? Are, are you getting to be face-to-face, or, or are you having to do it, you know, between glass, or how's that going? It's 50-50. There's still <sighs> the ones where I have to wave through the window, and, like, they got to read my, my, my lips on what I'm trying to tell them or I got to call them and we do like a phone chat via glass door but there's some others you know where we can sit down or we can go have lunch it really depends on location you know I mean Colorado you've got to sit in a bubble outside is how they're kind of handling their deal you know if you want to go have some lunch with an individual and you know chit chat or Mm -hmm. in some other states just aren't as crazy it really is state to state yeah it it is Um, and a lot of it's company to company too you know, For a sure, lot, absolutely. A lot of it is. Uh, hey, Sterling just pulled up a news story. Yeah, I was that, just wondering about this, uh, the that, BLM. So it's a little bit of a preview for me because I haven't looked at it yet. But So we do a news segment. We call it News, Rumors, and Newspeak because, you know, fake news. So some of it might Touché. be news, some of it might be rumors, and some of it might be Newspeak. But they're from the mainstream media where we're pulling the stories from. And... Uh, What's the headline? Well, this this is from Oil City News, and it's they're talking about five thousand well, uh, Wyoming oil and gas projects gets a green light. Yeah, that came from the Wyoming government, though. Yeah, so um, eight thousand jobs, I think, is their big pitch on that. Yeah, yeah, and talking about uh, year-round opportunities there for drilling. For sure. Yeah. So I was just, I'm kind of curious, you know, how that might affect uh, what you guys going on or have going on, just because it seems like there's, uh, you know, such a a low rig count right now you know mm-hmm. and you expect to see it start to rebound absolutely I, it won't be i mean it's never going to be crazy again right but i think you'll see like a one to two ad month to month you know okay. something that's conservative realistic manageable i think is where that would go yeah well you know when i moved out here in 2010 into in north dakota of course everything was going you know it was total uh, boom times out in the bakken and right uh, it was kind of funny because you know i grew up in oil oil and gas living overseas in saudi arabia my dad was a contractor for saudi aramco so I spent a whole lifetime there and i'm listening to people on the radio talking about these boom times like they're never going to end you know like it's like it's never going to end and it's it just seems surprising i mean haven't we been seeing that for the last you know 50 years or so these these trends and i don't know it just seems like everybody gets all excited when we're doing well and then completely loses their mind when things go bad uh, how is there? How do you get some sort of stability? You don't, Bailey. The, you, the you, industry is set up not to. Really? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, if you if you want the sad, honest truth, because I yeah, I'm fourth generation oil and gas, and this is like clockwork. You know, you're going to have an election year. It's either going to go good, it's going to go bad. You're going to have all these variables to play. Uh, I, I, ju- I it's not going to change. There's too much money in it for it to change. They make so much when it's good, and then regroup when it's bad. That I. It's just the model. It's not right or fair, but yeah. it is what it is. It's like predictable chaos, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, and it's, <laughs> I've always cracked this joke, and I don't know if I, you probably should quote me anyway, the heck with it, you know. It's <laughs> that, you know, five years, 
from now, they're having a golf meeting, individuals that we're not involved to, and they're making these choices on when it's going to be good and when it's going to be bad. It just affects us more than it affects them. I, I still look at what's going on a little bit different. and Oh, this is good. I like it. Yeah, and Bailey, fourth generation, so I, I got homework for you. During the, uh, during the holidays here, I want you to go, and when you're spending time with your generational family folk, bring up this, this, this uh, theory I have, which is, you know, we're going through a cruise shift right now, okay? There's, there's a big cruise shift happening. We got 70% of the industry that's going to be retired, 75% of the industry that's going to be retired by 2023. We're two years away, a couple years away from the whole cruise shift being done, Okay. And through the process of that, there, we have some new mindsets coming in. So the example I love to give is Mike Summers, president of API, came out right away and said, no subsidies, absolutely no government control. Then you've got Matt Parsley, or Matt Gallagher, CEO of Parsley, going on MSNBC and saying, we want government to control. <laughs> and he's a younger guy. So you got the old guard, Mike Summers, representing knee-jerk reaction, immediately saying government stay out, let the free market take care of it. And then you got the new generation, so to speak, millennial, uh, coming in and saying we want the government to control it. I think that is, number one, extremely important conversation for the industry to have, which I don't believe outside of us anyone is having. And number two, I think over the last 10 to 15 years, and I don't know how it's happened, but it has, I think the industry has gotten reactive. They used to be proactive. They used to be 100%. A, They used to be uh, the ones setting the tone, they used to be setting the narration. Now they're reacting to the tune to where a 16-year-old girl is kicking their ass all over the globe. How did that happen? Billions of dollars being spent? Point. So th those are my two little conspiracy theories or theories or I call it bubble gum for the mind where you just chew it around for a while, man, because there's something there with it. And you just chew it and chew it, you know, c cattle cud. Cattle cud. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah, it's catchy. But anyway, I, so I, if you wanted to respond on the industry becoming reactive as opposed to proactive and then also the, just these, this kind of ideological shift that we are in, really. Go ahead. I mean, you nailed it. They used to, and they still do. You know, these big corporations that are independent that controlled the narrative, you know, they had five, 10, 20 year plans, and they still do. So it makes you wonder how they became so reactive. You know, it's like they didn't plan for this, even though they had an idea it was going to happen. Does it boil down to the simple idea that they just were in denial or were all in denial? Or, you know, how does that look? But, yeah, they've definitely – the proactive side of things has gone way to the wayside. I, I don't know. I, I, I just I thought of another example. Why. I just thought of another example. I had three corporations in the last three months tell me off the record, so I'm not going to name their names, but I'll tell you the behaviors. They, they, they had to rewrite their ESG reports for their, for their shareholders in some way, and a lot of them doubled it in size. Because wow. because that's becoming a big thing. Oh yeah, now now in North Dakota they're talking about it now. We got we were talking it back in 2014. I mean I got I got quotes from people in 2014. We were talking about this, and now the industry is just starting to talk about it. I mean it's a little too little, little too Daily late. Dollar short, yeah. Oh sure. totally. I mean, 
What I, all I remember is being in, in Gillette, Wyoming a few years ago saying, guys, we got to wake up here because when I got into this industry, the conversation was paper or plastic, and we got to do something about these plastic straws. Now we got Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren coming out trying to ban the industry. This was a couple of years ago. Now it's Biden or whoever you know it is. Now it's just you know yeah. it's 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 a collective army. So uh, that's there, there. There's there's a couple examples there. I get on my soapbox. I'm not ready. I want to play. Let's play again. <laughs> where's that? Where's that? Where's that forty foot pipe? Where's that? <laughs> Anyway, so, uh, by the way, in uh, second hour of the program, Ron Gusick, Liberty Oil Field Services, the president, he's going to join us to talk a little bit about the FR clothing bulwark as well as the North Face and just kind of what's going on. He's out of Colorado, so he's kind of in the belly's beast, so to speak, kind of a lot of different aspects of it. So we'll have to get some insight from him, too. But, uh, well, sir, what's your what's your outlook for next year? We're going to wrap up here as I'm taking a look at the clock, and we blew through the first segment and saw since you you know since you got the bat phone line and you can call into the studio here at any given time and be part of the show so we thought we'd uh, we'd go a little bit longer with bailey midkiff from wic williams insulation company so what's uh what's on tap for next year for you guys a lot of beautiful magical things you like that nomenclature i chose <laughs> that was awesome we got a really aggressive plan and it is going to come to fruition we're excited you know we're bringing on new team members already before the end of the year we just brought on uh, a new project manager manager slash sales guy uh, henry solis in denver uh, we're getting ready to do an estimator we're doing a lot of aggressive exciting things to really uh change the narrative all righty, sir. Well, we're going to let you go. We're going to get going. We've got another segment. We've got news coming up next. What else do we got? Uh, oh, predictions. Predictions and uh, New Year's resolutions. Do you got any New Year's resolutions? I know you just kind of gave one for your company, but personally, do you have any? We're doing New Year's resolutions and... Uh, Sounds dangerous, actually. Predictions from... Uh, People that had predictions going into 2020. I want to see how bad they are compared to, <laughs> compared, you know, COVID happened. So we'll see. Less uh, screen time. Less, less screen, screen time. time. That's yeah. pretty good. Yep. Yeah. You know, and actually a very good lesson for people is anybody who dogs on their kids about screen time with video games and all that different stuff. Think of that during all your Zoom meetings and Excel spreadsheets, people. That's screen or time, too. Or on your too. phone. Or on your phone. That's yep. screen time, too. So, all right. All righty, sir. Well, we'll have to catch you later, okay? Take you care, Bailey. Have a good one. Good talking to you. All right. That was... <laughs> All right, that was you know Bailey Midkiff with WIC. We're going to be back in just a moment or two. He was on the Swan Energy phone line. This is the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. That is Sterling. My name is Jason Spies. We'll be back in a few minutes.
to get your mind blown. The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. Is sponsored in part by... If you have natural gas leases and are looking to sell them, Swan Energy wants to talk to you today. Give them a call at 866-539-0860. That's 866-539-0860. Swan Energy is buying up natural gas leases, and they may buy yours too. Give them a call today. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. The industrial forest. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Welcome back to the Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. Oh, today's show is going off the rail big time. We got sticky notes all over the place. Little We've loopy. Got, um, your mic's on. Okay, good. I thought I turned your <laughs> mic off here. My name is Jason Spies. That is Sterling. How's it going? This is segment number three now of the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. Segment one, by the way, was like under three minutes. Really? It's like, yeah, it's like, see, and... I'm having a very hard time not going in the gutter because every time I say something, it's that's what she said or something along those lines, you know, comes out. So maybe we need to restrict it to three minutes and then we won't get too naughty or do we, you know, is that the problem? I, we, you know, I get it. Uh, that's part of life. But at the same time, you know, we also got to, you know, we got to be somewhat professional. Not really. But I see you <laughs> noticing this plant here, by the way. Yeah, this is beautiful. What is this? Where did so this come from? We, this plant right here, if you want to go ahead and read that, because, you know, we've got some uh, we've got some great partnerships, some great listeners, some great fans, some great friends and family members here. So what do this we is here? Merry Christmas from your Texas crude life sister. Very nice from the gals down in The Crude Life, Tiffany Wilson from Aries. Uh, she kind of spearheaded that, and I appreciate that very much. And you know what spawned from this? Hmm. Uh, we're going to be launching next year with the, the help of the sisters down in The Crude Life, uh, Texas area. The real oil women. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, the real women are real oil women of The Crude Life. Nice. And we have, we have it's written down somewhere, but 
It's going to be about those women that live the crude life. I mean, we're talking about being a part of the, the volunteer network, getting out, getting themselves dirty from, you know, time to time. That might not be their regular part, but hey, going out in the rigs is, is that's being part of the community, being part of the community in a lot of different ways, as opposed to, you know, just be a great perspective to get, you know, and they've got what uh, combined like 20 some, 30 some years. A lot more, more than, than that. that. Yeah, I mean, it'll just grow from there. I mean, because we've got some up in the Bakken, too, and, and that sort of thing. But anyway, you know, everybody's doing something with women. And we've tried to do women powering the industry, and we've tried to do, you know, different highlights and things. We just make sure that we interview women all the time. Right. Well, because, these are ladies that are empowering themselves. Yeah. So, but we, we've been toying around some ideas for a while with some of the Texas girls, and that's what we came up with. And we appreciate the plant here at The Crude Life. We have it in studio next to our daily sponsor here today, the 40-foot tape measure, American Directional Driller. This thing is awesome. It oh. must weigh five pounds. You could club somebody with this thing. All the links will be available at thecrudelife.com on our show page. But um, what I'd like to do to help out American Directional Driller out of Denver, Colorado, is... Yeah, listen to that. Let's start measuring some stuff with this. Absolutely. This let's, is 40 foot. Let's go to awesome. Subway and measure a six-inch sub and see if they give us six inches of sub. <laughs> Excuse me. You only gave us five inches. I'm sorry, five feet and ten inches of sub. <laughs> We would like a discount of two inches off of our foot-long price or six-inch price. <laughs> let's I, go do some things like that. Let's do it. Let's get out there and measure some pipe. We'll play that in the play-hard portion. <laughs> measure some pipe. Um, anywhere? Anywhere. This thing is amazing. 40 decimal feet. In the easy to read. Of... Extra wide blade. Nylon coated for pleasure and comfort, I assume. I'm still stuck on go measure some pipe. <laughs> There's a lot of things you can oh, do with this. Folks. This is not just an average measuring tape. Oh, 20, this is an industry standard and a home defense mechanism. 2020 is done. On to 2021. Oh, so glad. 2020 is done. On to 2021. Does that rhyme? 2020 is done. On to 2021. Too many syllables. Yeah, it's almost a haiku. A very important man from more than 90 miles away from my town once told me, because that's a consultant, if you're more than if you're more than 90 miles away from a town, you can be hired as a consultant. Okay. Because now you're someone from out of town telling people what to do. And of course, he was in the radio world, so he's big and important. And he always said, chance work, people like chance. So maybe we need to come up with a chant for the pipe. For the 40-foot tape measure. Man, well, yeah, it, maybe it should come with pipe. <laughs> this thing sells itself. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Can we get Wesley Snipes? No, that's too many. Okay, too much. <laughs> Wesley what? Pipes. Just ruined the whole thing. All right, I was trying to think of a word that rhymed with pipe, and I couldn't come up with it. And we do got to remember, this is a tape measure. So, and but it's, it's specific for the oil and gas industry. PileUSA.com, if you'd like to check it out. PileUSA.com. But like I said, we'll have the links on the website as well. And also, they're on Amazon, so we can you can purchase it on Amazon as well. All right, what are we looking at here? We're going to do some predictions, aren't we? Are you ready for some predictions? New or Year's you, resolutions and predictions? You, you want to do uh, 
predictions for 2020 or do you want to do predictions for 2021? Well, let's start with the bad news. All right. So the top five predictions for 2021. Yeah. This is courtesy of Brian Sullivan. So Brian Sullivan from CNBC. Okay. Uh, He's a friend of the program. Interviewed him before. He's been on here a few times. Prediction number one, the roaring 22s begin in the second half of the year. Vegas sold out by September. So what he's saying is the second half of the year, we're going to get back to booming booming again. And I wonder about that. We'll see. Um, Probably true because they're already talking about another shutdown and another European COVID second wave coming. Biden and Gates have already started that uh, planting the seeds of fear and upcomingness. Now you got the vaccine starting to roll out. A third one was just approved, I think. A lot of people are are thinking now that until the vaccine's approved, it ain't going to change. Probably not, I'm guessing, you know. Well, and the reality is, is that you could get a clean bill of health and on the way home stop and get gas and pick up COVID. Yeah. So it, th- that's why they're saying is that until the vaccine is not only done, but proven. Yeah, and until it's out there enough. I, I mean, think we're talking years. Yeah. Years. They were talking like 75 to 80% need to be vaccinated before we'd start to see sort of that herd effect. Right, and I'm very certain Jennifer McCarthy's fan club is not going to get vaccinated. So there's that whole side of it, too, where you got anti-vaxxers, and I don't like that name. That's such a terrible name for somebody that... Yeah, really, who comes up with these slogans? Uh, there, there are a lot of people that do not want to do all the different vaccines mm-hmm. because there's different things in them they just don't want to do. And well, and you I, can't I, lump them all together. There's right. people that have got legitimate grievances against it or bad experiences right. or culturally bad experience with vaccines. You know, it's That's why I wanted to go the Jenny McCarthy route. Okay. Popular airfares will more than double by July 4th. As of this writing, the nonstop fare on United Airlines from Newark, New Jersey to Los Angeles in April was 290 bucks. Yeah, see, this kills me. With business class running 2300 bucks. Good luck getting those fares in a few months. Yeah. <laughs> and can you imagine that? How much money did we as taxpayers fork out to keep the airlines from totally crashing? Not once, but twice the last decade. I think we should all get like a million bonus flying miles or something like that. Come on. Maybe that's it. Everybody gets one flight. You know, you want to talk about stimulating the economy, moving things around, give everybody one you know, family. Everybody gets one free return round trip flight anywhere in the continental U.S. No way, man. I want to go back to Hawaii. Or well, I want yeah. to hit I mean, Alaska. We all want to go to Hawaii. Have you seen the drive from Washington State to Alaska? I have. I pulled that map up the other day just to look at something because of something happening in Alaska, right? Right. And I, I knew it was far. That's got to be a three-day drive. Just uh, at least, uh, at least from yeah. from the state it's of like Washington. It's like driving coast to coast. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's unbelievable. I didn't realize how long north and south that was. Yeah. I knew Canada was big, but holy smokes, there's a whole man. lot of empty. <laughs> I know, <laughs> and I knew this crazy guy that would drive a dirt bike from Wadena, Minnesota, to some bush country in Alaska no every kidding. summer. Oh, oh man. yeah, he is. I'm, I'm talking That's dirt awesome. bike, dirt bike. Yeah, like the the one with the. The, well, the, supposedly there's trails you can pretty much and that's hike why the whole way yeah. up. Yeah. And he'd have a pack and a rifle and he'd go. <laughs> he'd sleep on the side of the road with these like communes of other people like him yeah. where they were kind of 
bikers and, and travelers, kind of these, you know, nomadic types. And they knew the places to go where they would kind of safety in numbers sleep. Sure. And they knew that the others would protect them if anyone turned on them. Yeah. Kind of like, well, cause they sense. all got the same sort of self-interest at that right. point. They yeah. just want to sleep and move yeah. on. They, yeah. they don't want to, you know, die. Um, I take an RV myself. I want comfort and a TV. Some interesting stories. <laughs> yeah, where right. did we start on this? <laughs> Prediction number three, oil ends year above $55. Though the world remains awash in oil and everyone believes crude oil is on its way out, it's too early to write off it entirely. In the U.S., a flurry of deals and bankruptcies in Texas should help reduce excess production. Uh, that's, that's fine, but at the end of the day... So much of our economy, so much of our lifestyle, and so much of our world is petroleum product based that it's going to take decades to wean, to wean off it, let alone transition off it. So uh, I think that's a very safe prediction. Now, I don't know if it'll end above 55, but I would say that probably it's going to it's going to spend a lot of time over 55. Yeah, I guess if we get that prediction at the end of next year where everything's starting to come back online. Here's another one. Commodities will outperform most stocks. So it's prediction number four. Commodities will outperform most stocks. That's probably true. Um, you know, I, I think we've we've probably about ready for that, actually. Um, we've seen a boom in commodity prices in the last few weeks, actually. So I think the stock market's going to get hit pretty hard because that's going to be centralized and pretty good. It's such a neurotic market. It's well, I mean, down, up and down, up and down. But, you know, they've been they've been breaking records throughout this pandemic. So it's I don't think it's a real good indicator for most of us. So here's another one, folks. If you're looking for a new industry to get into or a new place to open up another company, best performing healthcare investments focus on the next crisis, obesity. And you got to keep in mind now, war on cancer, war on diabetes. There's a lot of wars in the healthcare world, and they just throw money at these like that i mean you try to do a research project in the last x amount of years that wasn't cancer you didn't get a dime mm -hmm. so the that what he's saying here is that his prediction is is that the focus is going to start to shift on obesity so if that's the case then that's where all the dollars are going to go so there's there's something for you there well when with all the crowdfunding opportunities now you know right? you can see some amazing things start to happen all right, let's get to some predictions. 23 hilarious predictions about the year 2020 that are way off. <laughs> All right, it's hard to imagine that we're, that we're living in the year 2020, but we, uh, it's coming to a close here. And number one, human feet will become just one big toe. <laughs> in a lecture at the Royal College of Surgeons in England in 1911, a surgeon by the name of Richard Clement Lucas made a curious prediction that the useless outer toes will become used less and less so that man may become a one-toed race. Wow. By the year 2020? By the year 2020. Now, that was a prediction done in 1911, okay? Yeah. Silly man, right? Are you ready for one from 1994? Uh-oh. Are you familiar with the Rand Corporation? I am. Okay. <laughs> they did this? In 1994, the Rand Corporation, a global think tank that's contributed to the space program and the development of the internet, said they expect us to have ape or gorilla chauffeurs and employees by the year 2020. Wow. 
This was in 1994. And they had never watched, apparently, the original Planet of the Apes. Don't we know? We know how that's going to end. I think Instead they were, we got Roomba. I think they were watching it and got really high. Yeah. <laughs> and then they decided to make a prediction and somebody hit tweet too soon in 1994 on the first email or something like that. Prediction number three. Inventor, science writer, and futurist Arthur C. Clarke, who wrote the screenplay 2001 A Space Odyssey, believed that the boring houses of 1966 would radically be different by the time we reach the 21st century. Evidently, the houses of the future would have nothing keeping them on the ground, and they would fly. Flying houses. Okay. That's a... That's a little hard to wrap my head around. Oh, it wouldn't be just one home that would be able to relocate without the owner even needing to get out of bed and put on his pants. The whole community <laughs> may migrate south for the winter. You know, this is cool, though. I mean, as outrageous as that is, at least there was like, that was an optimistic vision of the future. Ask somebody now what the future is going to be like in 50 years. You ready for this one? Mm. Number four, our houses will be cleaned by hoses. Ah, that came true. That did in some there, aspects. Yeah, I see them. So, obviously, there'd be a synthetic fiber or waterproof plastic is, is the article on this. But I, I didn't. I kind of want to decide, Barb, because um, one of my first entrepreneur projects that we didn't do, but I really liked, was there were some old uh, houses over by North Dakota State University, over by the colleges, and now it's a strip mall. But we, what we wanted to do was put up a concrete hostel. Okay, think of the hostel concept okay. with a shared common room. Right. But it's basically, you know, a sleeping room. Okay. And you got shared bathrooms and you've got a shared living area and then a kitchen and this and that. But the whole thing is going to be concrete. So that... And drains in every every room. Okay. So at the end of the school year, you just go in and bleach... Just hose bleach that the down. sucker down oh, and just turn and churn and burn them every year i thought it was genius <laughs> that is well if it's concrete inside completely yeah you could just have like some sort of fire <laughs> totally right? and just and i didn't know how it was going to end up but the original planning process was great we couldn't get anybody to bite <laughs> you know i think you could sell that to contractors they could make one room in each residential house concrete where the teenager guy, goes i think one guy left the room <laughs> he got up and left <laughs> I mean, just the idea of at the end of the year, you know, like Breaking Bad, just psh, just spraying the thing, you know, just anyway. Oh, so. man. So basically right. you were going to make prison cells. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. I mean, that joke did come up. It yeah. did come yeah. up. And you were going to charge people for it. So, all right. Well, I don't know if this is going to get less funny. Prediction number five. Uh -oh. We'll eat candy made of underwear. What, what, wait, wait. Wait. Well, eat candy made of underwear. I thought Shouldn't it was we eat ed underwear edible. made out of candy. I thought edible underwear was it. So, the same popular mechanics article that predicted the houses will be cleaned by hoses. Boy, they must have been doing some houses before hoses, man. Good, good drugs back then, but they predicted <laughs> oh, that yeah. all D was legal. That all food would be delivered to our homes in the form of frozen bricks by the 21st century. Cooking as an art will only be a memory of the minds of old people. <laughs> a few dishards still broil a chicken or roast a leg of lamb, but experts have developed a way of deep freezing partially baked cuts of meat. 
Okay. A brick of meat. Hey, well, you know what? Uh, they've got those home food delivery things, right? Hello Fresh and those guys. He even predicted it would be possible to take ordinary objects like old table linens and rayon underwear and bring them into chemical factories to be converted to candy. Oh, man. I'm glad they went the other way on that. Here's my thing. That's the kind of just nonsense people would get behind today. I mean, I'm sorry, but this is the type of just complete outside-the-box imaginative thinking well, somebody that probably seems to be accepted that. onto that's what I'm Somebody saying. funded this that. Is, somebody <laughs> put money behind that idea. Number six, we'll have personal helicopters. I, I agree with that. In fact, I would be We have saying, drones. You can have drones. We should be having jetpacks by now. You know, um, I like this one, though. Number seven, <laughs> C, X, and Q will not be part of the alphabet. Oh, I got rid of them a long time ago. Isn't that absolutely hilarious? But, okay, that's for, but when you think about, like, you take away Qbert, not much happens outside of the, you know, Q. There's not a lot of Q. The Q revolution didn't come. No, it never X really got here. took off. Xmas, yeah. oh, Extreme, X, X Factor, XXXX, yeah. right? X, the whole porn X industry. So I mean, everything. So way off. C, on the other hand, the only thing hang on to a C is C is for Cookie. Yeah, you would invalidate Cookie Monster. I mean, C doesn't have an identity. It's either a K or an S. Why can't you use a K? Why can't you use an S? So what's the, what's the point of a C? Outside of a cookie. Man, you are blowing my mind right now. That's what happens on the this Crude is, Life yeah. Morning Show. These Play are, hard, these are work hard ideas. So what do we add here? Let's see. Number eight. We'll have telepathy and teleportation. <laughs> that prediction was made in 1985. Oh, man. Could you but imagine? Make no mistake about it. In 19, and, and 2014, the book entitled Shift 2020, they predicted it again. Telepathy. So, and teleportation. So, it was in 1985, and six years ago, seven years ago, 2014, they made that prediction again. How close are we? You know, I don't even know. Is it happening? I have heard about teleportation, although it's like on a quantum level, right? So, it's... What, like on Lost, when they did the mice's memory? Uh, when they, when they time-traveled his memory, so you knew how to get out right. of the... The maze? Yeah, sure. <laughs> no, more like uh, they're able to actually teleport material. Okay, well, this is, uh, I, I, this is getting too... Esoteric. This is, yeah, too, too much math. Uh, number nine, all roads will become tubes. <laughs> Futurama. And this was 19... Did Elon Musk make that prediction? 1957 is when this prediction tubes. was. Popular mechanics. Yeah. Tubes. So, I mean, think about this. These predictions, these are coming from the mainstream media. Yeah. Well, you know, popular mechanics like to entertain that kind of stuff. Yeah, but popular mechanics is known as, you know, the, the Reader's Digest and the, what's, what's the other one? The um, pub, National Publishers? Geographic. Uh, no, the National Geographic would be yeah. another one. It's but Consumer's Report. Consumer Report, yeah. Like, it, it's, it's trusted. It's been vetted and trusted, and, yeah. and you'll know if it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, there was a tendency back in the 50s and 60s to want to put everything Whoa. in a bubble. Whoa, number 10. Number 10. Do we have a sound effect for doo 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 doo? Nobody will work. And, <laughs> and everybody will be rich. 
We're halfway there. Yeah, we're way. Yeah, that's the way in to look at it. In 1966, Time Magazine reported that the 21st century would be pretty awesome economic era for just about everybody. In essays called The Futurists, they predicted that machines would be producing so much that everybody in the U.S. will be, in effect, independently wealthy. wealthy Without even lifting a finger, the average person could earn anywhere between thirty and forty thousand dollars a year. Oh, and that's in nineteen sixty-six, so it'd be three hundred thousand dollars to four hundred thousand dollars today. Okay, yeah, that'd be okay. I'd be all right with that. Well, all they got to do is do it. Where do I sign? No, they just got to do it. Like Rand Paul, his little rant he went on last week about the stimulus checks. Right, just He's it. right on that. If we're just printing money and giving it to whoever, well, okay, just do that. Just print print me $300,000. Right. I'll take it. Yeah, and now all of a sudden a carton of milk costs $150. Well, not yet. Print me the money first. Yeah. And then let me buy stuff and then let them react to it. Okay. But yeah. print me the three hundred grand first. So I well, if you've ever, so if you've ever go gone to it. a foreign country where you you do some exchange, you get your dollars, say to exchange to something where it's like ten to one or something like that, and you're buying something for six thousand whatevers, right? You know, it's the inflation. This one's interesting. Number eleven, we're almost here. In fact, if you took out the word rocket, we are here. Mail will be sent via rocket. So, and this was done in 1959, and so at that point, I believe we already had mail via, you know, in the planes, in airplanes. So, rockets are not airplanes, but rockets could be drones. Sure, yeah, so, replace rocket with drone. Yeah, yeah I mean, so this one's not that The funny far thing about off. rocket, though, is that rockets typically end. They don't land. In 1959, Navy submarine USS Barbero sent 3,000 letters all addressed to political figures like President Dwight D. Eisenhower, Dwight D. Eisenhower using only a rocket. Interesting. A rocket. I mean, I'm thinking of like something bigger than this house. So, no, the idea would have been to shoot it into a field and somebody would have gone and picked it up, opened it up, grabbed the mail and delivered it. All right. We're, we're way over here. So I'm just going to run through them here really quick. Uh, number 12, we'll finally make it to Mars. Uh, we have a little bit in theory, but they're talking more as far as living there. Uh, number 13, women will all be built like wrestlers. Who uh, made that prediction? Uh, 1950, Associated Press writer Dorothy Rowe revealed some shocking predictions of what life on Earth would be like in the year 2020, according to Smithsonian Magazine. I'm having a hard time speaking this morning. It's hard asses. Uh, as well as play hard part, you know, it's, it's plus it's in the morning. Among her more scratch headed, oh, another bat phone call, and we'll put, we got to get him on and I muted that for a second but women will be six feet tall wear size 11 shoe shoulders like wrestlers and muscles like a truck driver they'll be perfectly amazonian sweet so it was a woman associated press writer 1950 so it's um interesting and you know she's not far off there's there's some stuff happening there yeah i like that uh number 14 will wear antenna hats and disposable socks Okay, in 1939, yeah. that prediction was. In 19, and where are we at here? 1911. Everything, even baby cradles, will be made out of steel. Okay, I can see where that one came from. Had a lot to do with uh, Thomas Edison, actually. 
Uh, number 16, we'll be able to vote electronically from home. Hey, there you we're go. We're not that far away. If not, if not, we're already there. 1997 Wired article. And then again in 2006, they predo- predicted it again. Number 17, everyone will stop drinking coffee and tea. <laughs> Who made that prediction? Somebody I respect a lot. Really? In 1937, Nikola Tesla, who I very much respect. Absolutely. Predicted within a century, coffee, tea, and tobacco will no longer be in vogue. The abolishment of stimulants will not come about forcibly, he wrote. It will simply be no longer fashionable to poison the system with harmful ingredients. I would say we've gone the opposite way. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that the Starbucks craze has increased our four cups Energy of coffee drinks. that we've drank during this segment. Well, I remember we were talking about how many different forms caffeine take nowadays. Right. There will be blood banks for teeth. Wait. 1947. Blood banks for teeth? Journalist Lester David promised in the future we'd have tooth banks. Okay. Okay, that makes more sense. Tooth banks. Yeah. So apparently we're going to have such problems with teeth. You would go and donate them. 19, everyone will be a vegetarian. That push has been happening. That was 1913 that prediction was made. Uh, Number 20, eating will no longer be necessary. That (laughs) was in, let's see, where are we at? Oh, still 1913. Talked about that. We'll have robots as therapists. Not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. That Siri. Was, okay. And number 22, vacuums will be nuclear powered. I remember that. 1955. And then number 23, there will be no need for futurists to predict the future. <laughs> In the 1900s and the early 2000s, many futurists made predictions of how the year 2020 would be. And guess what? The big prediction is is that futurists will no longer be needed exist in the future. <laughs> that seems like a good place to stop. Doesn't it, folks? Well, that is the end of this segment here on our morning show, The Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard, pilot. That is Sterling. My name is Jason Spies. We'll be back to wrap up in just a moment or two. That is Frackleberry Hound because another person is stopping by. It is Grand Central Station here today, folks. Hope you're having a great day, too. It is an awesome day outside.
The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. Is sponsored in part by... If you have natural gas leases and are looking to sell them, Swan Energy wants to talk to you today. Give them a call at 866-539-0860. That's 866-539-0860. Swan Energy is buying up natural gas leases, and they may buy yours too. Give them a call today. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking, the Davis Refinery. The industrial forest. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure The forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. All right, welcome back to the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. We're way over on time, so let's get right to news. Sterling, news, rumors, and newspeak. We got some good news, I think, coming out of Wyoming here. We got 5,000 Wyoming oil and gas project gets green light. Could create up to 8,000 jobs. So Bureau of Land Management has issued a decision allowing the development of 5,000 new oil and natural gas wells in Converse County, expected to generate roughly 8,000 jobs and approximately 18 to 28 billion in federal revenues. So Governor Mark Gordon has praised the decision and uh, I don't know, it sounds like an opportunity. Yeah, it definitely does. You know, I mean, we're looking at creating some new revenues which is needed very much uh, of course wyoming you know they had the rig count zero which is a little bit more exaggerated than what it was basically a week without permits but it's still rig count zero um the main part is is you don't want those crews to leave the state you want to keep as many crews going in the state as you can because each well represents a fantastic supply chain and once, and the other part is when those crews, once they go home or, or, or they find other work, it's hard to get them back. You know, people get in a new routine. That's why a big problem with this pandemic and everything is a lot of people are getting used to not working and getting paid. And when they go back to work, they're going to be ornery. So this is good. I mean, yeah, it's, it's good. You know, it's, it's different. It's, it's fine line, you know, because you're talking about, you know, government stepping involved and this and that but we're at a point where they're so involved anyways with regulations so no and they're talking about making this uh you know actual year-round drilling opportunity so that's the part i do like about it um the thing i've been kind of critical on north dakota is most of their oil and gas um directional dollars are for temporary jobs they don't sell it that way but that's how it ends up is Mm -hmm. temporary and um i think if Wyoming's looking more for year-round jobs. That's the way to go. Otherwise, it's it's a little just too much patchwork. I mean, but it does also keep 
a lot of the tax revenue going. Yeah, it sounds like it could provide some stability there. Yeah, I mean, these these a lot of these states are very reliant on the oil and gas tax revenue. And so if they cannot figure out a way, and by the way, the oil and gas companies, very upfront. If we're not making money, we're gone. Very upfront, okay? That's what they're in the business for. So if you, if state, if you want to give us a discount or you want to kick in some dollars, go ahead. Well, hey, we live in North Dakota, man. It's not I my mean, problem you decided to tie 90% of your education to the oil and gas extraction tax or, you know, whatever the case is. So that that's where I often go go in different directions with people because I, I don't fault the oil and gas companies for that. They're not the ones that are creating those budgets in the state. Yeah. So um, anyway, uh, no, it's good. If they can do year-round jobs, absolutely. There's not a better industry to keep an economy going than oil and gas. Yeah, the that'd be 8,000 good-paying jobs, too, what? I imagine. All right, what's next? All what right, we next, next we got some international news from my old stomping grounds in Saudi Arabia. It sounds like they found some new oil and gas finds, including unconventional resources. I thought they found all that oil. No, nope. Saudi Arabia's discovered four new oil and gas fields, including unconventional resources. That's from the country's energy minister on the 27th of December. They're working to determine the exact size and resource volume of the new find. And if productive, will boost Aramco's plans to increase its maximum sustained crude production capacity from the current 12 million barrels a day to 13 million barrels a day and developing its gas resources. So that could put an interesting squeeze on gas in our country, possibly. Without a doubt, there's a lot of people watching what's going on right now. What do they mean by unconventional resources? You know, I've always looked at unconventional, at least my interpretation is that basically undiscovered. Okay. Uh, You know, it's kind of new area, new location, maybe a new... Not where they expected (laughs) to find it type of place? Unconventional, because the conventional is they know where it's at. And And it sounds like it's light crude is what they're looking at, which is the good stuff. Oh. Yeah. Saudi Arabia? Yeah, they're talking about uh, it has a possibility that Al-Rish discovery. Your dad's company, Ramco? Mm, Saudi Ramco, yep. Pumping air, Arab Extra Light from the Tawik Mountain Formation. Well, you better run some things <laughs> up the family pole and your your Ramco Bratz pole and see what you can pull out of there. Uh, oh, yeah. A lot of the people that are still over there in Aramco, no doubt, are, are paying attention to this news, the totally. friends I have there. We'll have to see if we can't get somebody on to talk a little bit about what's going on over in Saudi Arabia because, uh, in fact, the North Dakota um, regulator, Lynn Helms, in the last briefing, he said he's watching Saudi Arabia very closely now. Uh, along with Russia, because they're they're going to test the market again. If not, yeah. I think they already started. So um, that kind of leads us to China. Yeah, the, right? the wild card yeah, in the whole thing, the big elephant. And got an article here talking about. You got some Chinese news. Chinese news. Oh boy. China's energy dependence to grow despite major oil discoveries. This comes from OilPrice.com, and uh, they're talking about basically doing a dramatic shift, even though they've got you know quite a bit of untapped natural resources so they're looking at investing somewhere in the range of 77 billion over the next five years 18 percent growth and china's energy dependence to grow despite major oil discoveries is that what you said yeah so let me see if i got this right china discovered more oil but they're going to depend on foreign countries more. Up to 70%, and the number is expected to grow. So are they banking it? You know, are they keeping the home stuff for themselves until they need it? Well, historically, they, they, they're very good at chess. Um, 
and they're very good at holding back their cards. They look at the long game. Totally, totally. And what's interesting about this story, from my perspective, is the aging of the of the planet. So China has that one-child policy, and so they've been having, what, 20 years of one kid or whatever it is? So Gosh, yeah, 30 or so. Mo- my point is, is that out of that 1.3 billion people, the majority of them are over the age of 50. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a lot of them are aging right now over the next 20 to 30 years, 10 years too. And a lot of them are actually in, in their senior citizen ages. So they're going to be very reliant on the healthcare system. And when you go to almost any community, I've seen anywhere from 30 to 50 percent, so right around 40 percent of a city's uh, grid basically goes to the healthcare system and emergency services. And when you take a look at an aging community, they're going to be very reliant, uh, uh, dependent on on oil and gas. You know, at the same time, what I've been reading, too, is that they're they're really pushing on the renewables, you know, and really making that that transition as early as possible. Again, I think looking at the long term, you know, it's better to have that capability when you need it than to have to start and bootstrap up right out of the gate. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what they end up doing with it. It looks like they're finding... Um, so they just produced their first self-operated large-scale deep water rig and the world's largest oil and gas storage platform on the coast of Hanan. Hey, does it say anything about LNG in that story? Because um, I know that there's been a significant investment towards LNG in China and if that market opened up, that would create a lot of opportunity over here in the United States for a lot of different reasons. But uh, when you look at natural gas, so, oh, great. Okay. Yeah. Um, t- take a look at it. But natural gas in, here in the U.S., like three bucks, two bucks, four bucks, you know, over in China, it's like eight, nine, ten bucks. Yeah. And in Japan, I guess, is the largest importer in the world. Okay. And in, in the Great Britain, uh, Europe, it's like 17, 18 bucks. So, and a lot of it has to do with infrastructure. Yeah. Okay. So, as places like Qatar and Saudi Arabia and some of those Middle Eastern companies start getting a little bit more advanced, that is why the United States needs to be the leaders in innovation because. Pretty soon, those hydrocarbon molecules are going to come out of those countries because it's shorter distance. Yeah, I was just going to say you're continuous. It's, yeah. it's you know they've already got uh, one major pipeline from Russia right now that's in production, and they're starting a second one, or they're at least exploring the possibility. So between that, the Middle East, and parts of Europe, you've essentially got an unbroken pipeline distribution for LNG. So I think if the, you know if America wants to be competitive, I think like you said, it's got to be innovative. It's got to be in refinement, it's got to be in distribution, it's got to be in making it as cheap as possible to pull it out, you know, because if you're putting it on a ship and sending it overseas, going through taxes, tariffs. Well, that's been America's problem for the last 20 years is how, how do you regulate and operate and capitalize on a knowledge-based society? Mm-hmm. And that's what we've become, a bunch of middle manager, paper pusher, white-collared society people. That's, that's what America has become across the globe where most, I mean, colleges are selling intellectual property as part of their... As, as part of their bottom line, itemized goods. Right. So it's it's a different world we live in. Well, and, it's um, service based. I mean, that's basically where we're we're headed. Is we're more about the uh, 
the application of it than the innovation of it. Without it, yeah. And a lot of the manufacturing assembling is being done in China. Mm-hmm. A lot of the think stuff is being done here, though. So we're also big consumers. Well, and it's also being stolen. It's being pilfered. It's being, you know, you read about companies in China. If you want to operate there as a U.S. or a foreign company, you have to reveal or at least make accessible intellectual property, you know, so that they, you can operate. We got to bring someone on that's been to China recently to mm-hmm. talk about um, what it's like doing business. We, I did a show ten years ago. Uh, I was a producer of a show called uh, Cowboys and Dragons. Nice. It was about capitalism going into China, and it was a Saturday night show live in China. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was live in America and live in China, and we only did it for four weeks, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it got pulled. <laughs> <laughs> Probably couldn't even do that now. Oh, it was so far ahead of its time. I mean, because we wanted callers, mm-hmm. and so we were live streaming. This is like 2009. We're like live streaming on the internet on I think UStream because YouTube was. In its infant stages, or it wasn't quite like Ustream was more international, and so anyway, uh, oh, the failures of life. Anyway, speaking of which, all right, that's news, rumors, and news speak. That is Sterling. My name is Jason Spees. We are going to take a brief pause, and when we come back, we're going to continue our reindeer games right here on the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. Falls down now, it's pixie dust. I carry what I need, baby, you I can trust. I carry a note in the pocket of life, and a pencil and erase by my side. Well, I feel alright, I'm doing okay. I'm here for the moment, know that I'm on my way. I came in and I said what I had to say. The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. Is sponsored in part by... If you have natural gas leases and are looking to sell them, Swan Energy wants to talk to you today. Give them a call at 866-539-0860. That's 866-539-0860. Swan Energy is buying up natural gas leases, and they may buy yours too. Give them a call today. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. The industrial forest. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now let's work hard. Ron Gusick, Liberty Oil Field Services. Well, thank you for joining the program here today. And, uh, you know, I know you're a busy man. We got the holidays coming up, so we're very appreciative for the access 
and some of the information that you're going to share with us today. Uh, views on what's going on with the North Face uh, controversy with the rejection of some oil and gas business citing, uh, I guess, uh, for new policies and lumping us in with a, some, some different categories, that sort of thing. Also, uh, 2020, a little bit of a different year for a lot of oil and gas professionals. 2021, uh, new president. Boy, lots to get comments on here. Don't 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 want to get all of it uh, and uh, bombarded at Mr. Gusick at one time. But um, how you doing today? By the way, in Colorado, right? Yes, in Colorado. Uh, great to great to be with you today, Jason. Uh, yeah, looking forward to the holidays. Of course, uh, been been one of those years that's been a, a real challenge. All kinds of surprises that came at us, but uh, you know, in some respects, looking forward to closing the books on this one and getting a fresh start next year. Now, I know you guys are active in a lot in different shale plays. Uh, how did twenty twenty go? Did uh, did you stay in the different shale plays? Did you see any movement anywhere, one place to another? Just a you know, quick little recap, if you if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, for sure. I, I you know, twenty twenty was was not without its challenges across the board. Yeah, we operate all the way from the from the Canadian border, the Bakken in North Dakota, all the way down to the southern border uh eagle bird in texas and and you know i think the impact change in activity level was felt across the board there some some areas certainly more than others you know that we have a presence in the powder river in wyoming and and that's a smaller basin to start with a little less activity there and so it, it, it just like in 15 and 16 you know i think it, it felt the impacts of a, a change in capital allocation maybe more so than some other uh, of the more core basins did so it, it varied a little bit across our footprint for sure in in terms of just what the percentage change was but but uh, we felt it every place and um you know while we didn't we didn't exit any basin we uh you know we 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 retain a presence in every place we had been in previously uh the level of rebound and you know the the number of crews we have running has has certainly not come back as fast in some places as it has in others Making some notes here, so I apologize if I appear to be pausing. I'm just making a few notes. And I, the next question, you know, really, it's it's almost two-prong. It's hard to have a discussion about one without the other. And on, on the one hand, we're talking about the North Face uh, re- rejecting or refusing, whichever word the media would like to use, uh, Texas Oil and Gas Company. Uh, in Innovex, is that right? Uh, I N N O V E X Innovex Downhole Solutions, and you know it really kind of sent a message through about a number of different things, from lumping oil and gas officially now with big tobacco and syntax and that sort of thing, and and then also the hypocrisy of the whole thing and. I'd, I'd like to just you know point out that it's very difficult to have this discussion because there's there's so many different angles to it from a, a disconnection side and a just sheer business standpoint. So I, I don't know what direction your comments are going to go, but uh, I did want to ask what your feelings were, what your thoughts were when it came to this whole North Face. Uh, refusal and new stance against the oil and gas industry. 
Yeah, that's, you know, of course, it's always frustrating to hear about things like that. And and you see it all over social media, particularly if you're in our industry and, and you have a lot of connections that are in that industry. It, you know, everybody is, is certainly, and rightfully so, pointing out the hypocrisy in that. You know, you they have a, they are a company whose products are, are made from uh, the, uh, you know, the materials that we produce or the commodities that we produce that are shipped by the commodities that we produce, they have a supply chain that is driven by uh, the commodities that we produce. And so when you think about all those things, that's, it, it's incredibly frustrating to see that kind of stance uh, come out of that, uh, out of the North States. I think that was, that was disappointing to, uh, to read about that. I certainly applauded uh, Innovex for the letter they sent back. I, I think it was a well-written, well-presented, uh, fact-based argument, you know, not an emotional one at all, but a a well-reasoned, thoughtful piece that I, I hope they read and, and gave some consideration to. You know, I, I would say it, it, it frustrates me even at a bigger level than that. You know, of course, we can point to the material the jackets are made out of, climbing harnesses, ropes, whatever. But, but even the foundation on which that company is based, which is this idea that we should all get out and recreate. You know, they want us to, they want to encourage us to explore the world. And, you know, if you think back 150 years, give or take a little bit, to before there was oil and gas, you know, this whole idea of, of recreation, of, of jetting off to the other side of the world to climb a mountain or, or hike a big trail or whatever the case might be, that didn't really exist. You know, we lived in a world where people had to work the large majority of their waking hours just to make ends meet, to put food on the table, to make sure they had water to drink, whatever the case might be. And, you know, here we, we have... Now, 150 years later, access to uh, to all of those wonderful things, to the ability to travel, and but more importantly, access to time. And it's oil and gas, access to low-cost energy that enabled us to do that. We work, I think one of the simplest examples is, that I've ever seen is just how long you have to work for, to pay for an hour of light. And, you know, that used to be measured in, that used to be measured in a lot of hours, uh, hundreds of hours, and then down to, tens of hours and now it's a second or something like that that the, that you have to work to, to uh, have an hour, access to an hour of light. You know, we've gone from a world where 90% of humanity lived in poverty to a world where 10% of humanity lives in poverty. And what that ultimately translates into for all of us is is economic well-being and and as a result we work less and we have time to recreate more and that's all because of oil and gas, access to low-cost energy that's made us do that. And so you know, I look at the North Face, and here's a company whose mission statement is to encourage exactly what oil and gas has enabled over 150 years. And so for them to make that decision, to turn their backs on on, on an oil and gas company in that way is, is incredibly frustrating to me because I think it just ignores all that, all that oil and gas has done for humanity in, in a century and a half. I mentioned off air as we were talking, uh, just kind of, Get into, uh, uh, I guess, talk a little bit about families and that sort of stuff. I mentioned I've got a 14-year-old son, and when he was about 8 years old, he was really difficult to talk to. 9, 10, you know, increasingly got more difficult where logic didn't apply and anything else. And it just became, he became very close-minded and impromptu and just kind of sporadic and that sort of stuff. So it became very clear to me it was difficult to have a discussion with somebody like that. It was like easier to talk to a brick wall. I kind of feel like we're, 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 we're like that now where, 
you were we've reached such a level of hypocrisy that there really doesn't seem like a, there's any kind of conversation that can be had. But what worries me is when we have the officials. You know, 10 years ago when I got into this industry, plastic bags and and plastic straws were the debate. Now we got presidential candidates declaring a war on oil and gas, just like the governor in your state in Colorado. How have we gotten uh, to that level of uh, disconnect with adults? It's just, it's kind of different, isn't it? We are in a different place. It's, it certainly seems that we have migrated in a direction away from a, a willingness or ability to have open, candid conversation and consider uh, two sides of a coin, so to speak. It, it, we, we've started to deal in, in absolutes, in blacks and black and white, in, you know, in extremes, really, where there's, where there's no consideration for reasonable middle ground. And so it, 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 certainly you see that in public policy. You, you, you see it all over the place. Uh, you see it in the, in the media, I think, as well, and in many cases, certainly in the mainstream media. And, and so, yeah, it, it, it definitely makes it incredibly difficult to sit down and have that conversation where you consider the pros and cons of, of any decision that's being made, of any policy that's being implemented, of any statement you're going to make or, or um, line in the sand that you're going to draw. And, and I don't know how we get back from that, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's something we need to figure out how to do again. It's, we need to get back to this place where, uh, where we can have those open conversations where people can express opinions and where you're not, uh, you're not automatically branded as, um, you know, a hater of the earth or whatever because you don't have an opinion that's in line with somebody else. Because that, that's simply not true. I, you know, I certainly would argue that the vast majority of the people who work in oil and gas are, are all about doing so to the highest standards, to the, to the best of their abilities to minimize any impacts, to produce the cleanest possible molecule we can. Um, because we recognize that's important. You know, I, I'm an outdoors person. I love to hike. I love to ski. I love to spend time in the mountains or paddling down a river or whatever the case might be. I, I certainly have, uh, I have two daughters as well. And, and I aim to live a, uh, to leave a, a great place for them to call home on this earth. So, you know, this, this idea that because we work in oil and gas, we're, uh, we're evil enough to destroy this planet is, yeah, it, it, it's, it's just a sad state of affairs. And, you know, I, I don't know how we get back to a place where, where we can have that discourse around the table and, and reach what I, I think would be, you know, sound and logical conclusions about a path forward. Sure, we need to continue to innovate. We need to continue to evolve. We need to continue to, to uh, deploy new technology and find better ways to do things. But we, didn't, we, sh- we shouldn't do so without weighing the pros and cons of each and every one of those solutions and ultimately deciding on a best path forward, which I don't think is where we are today. I don't understand um, the shareholders or any board of directors or anything along those lines from just two reasons. One is that my understanding is they're a public company, and I know public companies have certain certain uh, community standards and et cetera that they've, they need to adhere to. And when I take a look at just rejecting business, just flat-out rejecting business in a time when trillions of dollars are being printed to bail out businesses that that's got to be a red flag to me and number one number two they've got a company bulwark that sells fire resistant clothing and 
I mean, I, I'm not really quite sure what the, what the relationship is today, but um, there, there, there's some legitimate business red flags there. Um, you know, I, listen, we're not, I don't know about you, but I'm not a shareholder and, you know, I'm not in the SEC or I'm not, it's not my business to be in a uh, f- financial speculative talk show. But at the same time, I, I do understand the difference between sound business and, and flat out questionable business. Um, just what, you, did you have any comments on just that whole in the day and age when people are really starving and looking for business to reject it based on that and then have a line of FR clothing, it just seems a little questionable to me. It, it, it certainly does. You know, I think if you look at it from that, from that bigger picture standpoint, yeah, I, you know, I think you could certainly make a case that, that on, on one hand to, uh, you know, to develop a product that, that sells into our industry and on the other hand to, choose not to sell a product to our industry. Yeah. You know, I, I, you would definitely, would definitely wonder about that decision. Uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, we're on the outside looking in. And so you can only speculate as to, as to what led to those decisions and, and at what level, you know, decisions were made. I, you know, I, I don't know at, at, at um, what level inside of the corporation, those conversations are happening and, and we don't know. And, you know, unfortunately, there's really only we, we just don't have both sides of the story right now, because I think, at least to my knowledge, they've chosen not to say anything about it. I don't think they've chosen to comment at all on it, on it publicly. And so, unfortunately, that leaves us to speculate on uh, on what is actually driving their uh, their thought process there and, and exactly, you know, how that's how that's going. Uh, that's going to be thought about looking forward from a from a bigger standpoint. Time to make a plug here real quick for myself. We did put a request out to uh, the president of North Face as well as the president of Bulwark. And last night at about 8.30, 9 o'clock at night, I got an email from the PR person from Bulwark where the VP of uh, some VP title of North America uh, wanted to come on the program. So... Just a little little plug there that uh, hopefully we'll get somebody on from Bulwark at least to talk a little bit about what's going on. I I can't imagine they're too happy about this. Bulwark is. I mean, like I said, I, I don't know how many farmers are buying buying fire resistant clothing. I don't know how many uh, firefighters are, but I'm pretty sure welders and uh, oil and gas are on the same page and a lot of other people that use FR clothing. So I, I just, you know, there's, there's a certain herd mentality that comes with oil and gas from time to time. Um, I did want to transition over to kind of some regulation real quick as I'm looking at the clock. Uh, you're in Colorado where, the, you know, the governor came out and he, I think Colorado Blueprint, it was even a book. You know, we've got uh, New York this week, uh, last week came out and said they're going to divest away from uh, natural gas. California is doing what they're doing. Uh, you know, Fargo and Austin, they've been known to get pretty blue at times, too, for a couple states that uh, have, have some good oil and gas production here. So uh, talk to me about just the, the disconnect of leadership. You know, you mentioned you're not sure, you know, how, how, how we got there and what to do. Having the conversation and and, you know, spitballing isn't a bad idea sometimes, you know, type of a thing. But you're, you're in Colorado, so you're kind of in the belly of the beast, I say. 
Um, you know, there is a little bit of a PR thing here, and a lot of it has to do with that. You know, not in my backyard, the NIMBY type of a thing. And I call it the uh, uh, Harry the Dirty Dog, the old child's book about, you know, he went to the coal chutes and the uh, steel mills and stuff and got dirty. And there's a little bit of that branding in our mind, too. But um, the image and the regulation part, what, what should people be thinking about going into 2021? Yeah, you know, certainly we are at the forefront of the regulatory world here in Colorado. You know, I think Colorado uh, had, uh, even over the last five plus years, maybe the most stringent regulations for the production of oil and gas, maybe of any state and maybe of any place in the world. And, you know, those those regulations continue to, uh, to get more and more stringent. And, you know, I think what's important here is that, first of all, we have to, we have to maintain a line of communication. You know, we have to be part of you have to be part of the of the process in the development of those regulations to make sure that that we help the folks who are who are framing that, who are working on that language, to understand what what is realistic, what is plausible, and and, and what you know is just beyond the scope of reality at this point in time. You know, we're I, I think everybody in Colorado uh, on the on the oil and gas side of things is certainly in favor of finding the best possible way to do things to minimize impact on on the people who, who live near oil and gas operations you know we have a we have a, a unique challenge here or a somewhat unique challenge here in that the heart of the basin we are working in lies underneath the area where most everybody is moving in colorado up and down the front range kind of up and down the i-25 corridor and so we have to learn to work in close proximity with schools uh parks playgrounds people's houses um, and, 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 you know, of course that, that requires that we do everything we can to minimize our impact. Uh, but you know, at the same time, recognize that, that the service we provide and the industry where we are in is, is critical to the life we know as, as people today. And so we have to find a way to do that together. People's jobs count on that. The economic, uh, success of, of the state counts on that. We are an important employer here, an important uh, contributor to the tax base. Uh, both at the municipal level and at the state level. And and so we have to continue to work together to find ways where, yes, we can get better at what we do and and we can work under tighter and tighter regulations. But at the same point in time, we don't put ourselves in a position where where the industry can't be successful. And, and so that's, a, that's, of course, a lot of back and forth work and requires that that we work very closely with those regulatory folks to to do that. And as long as those pathways of communication are open and people on both sides are willing to listen, we end up in a successful spot. Uh, where we get offside is, is, is when uh, decisions are made unilaterally, when there isn't really consideration for uh, the economic impact, the human impact, uh, you know, what it, whatever that might be, and, and, and policies are put in place. And you've seen that, you started to see that elsewhere, particularly out on the coast. You know, you know we've seen a few municipalities ban natural gas any any future natural gas hookup to uh uh to new construction in those places and and you have to wonder um you know did somebody truly consider the the pros and cons of that and i think you're starting to see that pushback happen there now particularly from the lower income folks who's uh who are who are expecting utility bills to climb meaningfully i i mean they already pay a outrageous price for electricity in in california uh, 50% more than the nation's average at least, and maybe even a little better than that. And, and that only looks to get worse, worse with decisions like that. And so you have to wonder, did somebody truly weigh the pros and cons of these decisions and ultimately arrive at the best decision for the, uh, 
um, for for all of the people in California, or you know, is this a is this a decision that was put in in place by some policymakers um, for the sake of virtue signaling, so to speak? And and it's frustrating if if that's where we truly are, because that's that's not what we uh, that's not what we put elected leaders in place for. Well, let's end on a positive note. Uh, are you guys having a, anything for the holidays, COVID season? So, you know, budgets are down and masks are up and a lot of people aren't necessarily doing a lot of th- the things that they may not have done. But uh, are you guys doing anything at Liberty this year for whether it be for the, the, the holidays or, you know, New Year's or anything like that? You know, unfortunately not. We uh, we have in all past years, uh you know, to the extent we were able to with our customers find a schedule that allowed us to shut down all our crews and, and uh, bring the guys in for, for a holiday party. But unfortunately, the, uh, the conditions that we find ourselves in today, uh, specifically the health conditions, just don't allow us to, uh, to do that. You know, I think there's, a, there's, there's enough concern around the potential risk of having a large gathering like that, regardless of where you are. In some places, you just can't. Um, but in some places where it, it, it might be possible, I think the risk is still viewed as, as too significant in terms of ongoing operations. And so, yes, unfortunately, we've made the hard decision not to have those holiday parties this year. Uh, and, you know, instead we've, you know, we're sending out a, we'll call it a little Christmas gift to everybody in the company. And that, that varies by where you are, what that is, but, uh, you know, a little, a little bit of a thank you and a, and a Christmas video message going out to everybody just to, just to say a few words about uh, thanks for this year and, and some hopes for the year coming. But, but yes, a different year than we have had every year in our past. Um, hopefully hopefully uh, that will not be the case next year. Well, we appreciate you making the time. And again, you know, it's, it's access to people like you that really make uh, programs like mine, uh, you know, succeed and and really gets the information out there to others so they know what's going on. I mean, right now is a, is a time when, you know, access and information is paramount as people are trying to prepare for 2021. And, uh, you know, it's a, it, there's enough unpredictability in oil and gas. We don't need the government adding more, if you know what I mean. So anyway, I'll just, I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> It was a pleasure, Jason. Thanks very much for your time and appreciate what you're doing there. Uh, it's important we share these messages. Well, you build a bridge and I'll have on the harmony. After a hard week's work, we'll end it a mighty fine melody. The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard.
is sponsored in part by... If you have natural gas leases and are looking to sell them, Swan Energy wants to talk to you today. Give them a call at 866-539-0860. That's 866-539-0860. Swan Energy is buying up natural gas leases, and they may buy yours too. Give them a call today. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. The industrial forest. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Mark Watson with the Wyoming Oil and Gas Conservation Commission. Mr. Mark Watson gives us an update on Wyoming's oil and gas activity, as well as the impact from the ripple in the surrounding areas. This is Mark Watson with the Wyoming Oil and Gas Conservation Commission. You know, you mentioned the the conservation tax. So we're a self-funded agency. We... um charge a tax on all production in the state. Uh, it's five mils, so it's $5 for every $10,000 worth of oil or gas sold. And then we also make, you know, money on permit fees. It's $500 for a drilling permit. Um, hearing fees, $250. So, you know, we, we have enough revenue to basically fund our agency and then also fund um, orphan wells um, should the bond not be enough. I think that was your second question. So Orphan Well is basically a well where the company's gone bankrupt or hasn't followed our rules, and so we've um, revoked their bond. And then the well becomes the property of the Oil and Gas Commission, and it's our job to um, plug that well and rehab the surface. And so we've been pretty busy probably since I took over in 2014. We've had about a little over... 5,500 to 6,000 orphan wells. A majority of them are cold bed methane wells that are, you know, anywhere from zero to 3,000 feet. So they're a little easier to plug than, say, a you know, deep horizontal well. And we've been plugging, you know, average five, six hundred a year. This year we've got over four, 1,400 wells under contract. I think we've plugged as of this week close to a uh, thousand wells for 2020. Um, and, and that's a lot to do with the governor and legislators telling the Oil and Gas Commission that, you know, when things are a little slower, maybe we could, you know, up our game, plug more wells, keep more people employed. So that's what we've done. To listen to the full-length interview with Mark Watson with the Wyoming Oil and Gas Conservation Commission or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. While you're there, be sure to check out our ever-growing army of energy enthusiasts with our social media pages from Facebook to YouTubes, Twitters, 
LinkedIn. Check them out, folks. TheCrudeLife.com. Click on the social media page. From the staff here at The Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies asking, and always remember, energy is more than an industry. It's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by... It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. The music on today's program is written and performed by the Moody River Band. For more information on the Moody River Band, their links, and their music, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com and click on the musicians tab. So woke up this morning with something on my mind. Walked outside to know to see what I might find. And there was a peach next to a peach, and no, I saw her looking at me. But awake in the morning, there, joke is all I say. She's smiling back at me. Now wake in the morning and 